The running boom of the 70s came during simpler, pre-internet times. A unique cast of characters riding that wave came of age. You never knew who would show up, and races became household names, attracting capacity fields, year in and year out. Co-hosts Ron Galuli, John Gorman, and Grant Whitney, inspired by the first runner's reunion in 2019, speak with some of the characters of the era, share their stories and where they are today. Whether you are a road warrior, harrier, track purist, or simply a fan, there's something for everyone in each installment of the Runner's Reunion Podcast. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the beginning of season two of the Runner's Reunion Podcast. Uh, for our avid listeners, I think you'll remember that our last conversation way back in June, it seems like a year ago now, was with uh, basically uh, a legendary coach, a legendary family uh, member of the Doyle running family in Rhode Island, Jimmy Doyle, who talked about over his, his a long coaching career and shared some marvelous stories about his late brother, Bobby, uh, a name and a fixture in the, especially the Ro uh, Rhode Island uh, running community. Although we've been on hiatus since June, uh, it's important, I think, to note for our listeners, especially those uh, farther afield, that we did have, I shouldn't say we, I should say the organizing uh, geniuses behind the runner's reunion did succeed in having a uh, second runner's reunion. Uh, it was held in late August in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, a fantastic turnout. And there was um, some really touching and poignant uh, celebrations of, of people, certainly in the Rhode Island sphere. Um, uh, and uh, Bobby Doyle being celebrated and honored uh, as one of uh, those new entrants in the Rhode Island Running Hall of Fame, along with Ann Hurd, somebody we hope to have a guest at the guest uh, uh, going forward. But right now, one of the characters who knows and knew Bobby well and is a logical connection between Jimmy, Bobby, and has been a fixture in Rhode Island, when you think of Johnson and Wales, you probably are thinking of Holly Walton, and or if not, you should be. And so it's a real distinct pleasure for us here at the Runners Reunion Podcast Central to welcome Holly Walton for, I'm sure, what's going to be an interesting hour of conversation. Holly, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, we've got a lot to cover. And uh, for our listeners, um, I went to, up to introduce myself at the Runners Reunion, and Holly was holding court outside. Um, and it took about 15 minutes before he took a breath. And then I was able to introduce myself, but quickly jumped in, took advantage because he was in the middle of a great story and I didn't want to uh, interrupt his flow, his train of thought. But as we typically do in, in these kind, kinds of conversations, especially though, given your long association as a runner, as a coach, as a, a road race organizer and such, running has obviously been important. How did you get started? How did it all begin? Well, it, it started with a mistake because, you know, when you're in high school, we had to do like, uh, you know, that uh, president thing, like, you know, you had to do the standing long jump, pull up, sit up, rope and run. So I forgot about the run. I'm in the gym. I come in there. I got my khakis on. I got loafers on. I got a shirt and I take my T-shirts on and I'm shooting basketball. 
you know, I wasn't even thinking, I didn't even know what running was. I'm just shooting basket. So uh, the, the guy comes in who was a gym teacher, Mr. Morgan. He goes, uh, you know, young man, you're going to flunk gym. I said, nobody flunks gym. I said, if you do, you're stupid. I said, I said, that's my only A. I told him, I got all C's. And he said, well, you got to go out there and run a mile. I said, I don't even know what a mile is. I said, what are you talking about? I, so he said, you got to go out. So I go out to the track. You know, here I am, I got my khakis on. So I take my t-shirts on and a guy named Alvin Ass, who I grew up with, he ended up you know, being a, a coach at a St. Ray's. He had his sneakers on, which was a size 10 and a half. I took an eight and a half. So I said, can I use your sneakers? He says, yes. Yeah, I, so I took his sneakers on, I wrapped it around my feet, wrapped it around my other feet. And it was a guy talking a lot of junk. He said, I'm on a track team and nobody's gonna beat me. I said, man, I don't care what he's saying. I said, I just want to get my A. So he shot the gun and I ran 450 for the mile, took my shoes off, went upstairs and started shooting basket. I wasn't even tired. And he came over to me and uh, he says, you know, um, you know, you ran 450 and I said, is that good? He says, yes, it's good. I said, do I get my A? He said, yes. And I said, all I, that's all I care. <laughs> so I told him. So but it, it, it didn't affect me, you know, so. But that's and, insane. That's insane. How I'm sorry, but that just on nothing. Well, you know, it was just because I'm so used to, you know, my cousin and all of us we used to play games. We ran around all the okay. time. So to me, when he said a mile, I really didn't know what a mile was. And he just said, you just got to go four laps. And I said, OK. And when that guy started talking junk, when you were competition, you like competition. I loved it. You know, so when I ran 450, I went upstairs and that, nothing happened. Okay, so let me ask you this. So you're not training by any stretch. I mean, obviously, no, this is no, this is literally no. the beginning. So right. it, I know it was a different time. We're old enough. We've got the mm -hmm. gray hairs or the no hair to you know right. account for that. Right. So what? I, I'm guessing. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm guessing that you were really active with your you know with your friends with with. Well, the, yeah, the, we, but, uh, but what was that all about? I mean, we were literally running to and fro from a stream to this or that. To, well, we, how we was, used to play. We, when we grew up, uh, my family was you know my cousins and all the people in the neighborhood. We played, you know, tag. We played okay. fight. We played football. We played basketball. We played baseball. It was everything. We had something to do. Something to do. And we, you, we play chase, you know, you chase here, you have to chase that guy, you got to chase this guy. We play. Okay. So to us, it was no big deal. And my father, he worked at Fruit and Batu's Market. From, he was on the West End. He had to go to Harris Avenue. So he would walk. Mm -hmm. And when I was like 13, I walked with him. And then I walked back. So I was always doing something. So it's kind of like some might say when we think of some of the great East African runners, you know, they don't even think about training by running X number of miles to school because it's just transportation. That's so, it. And so you think it's something like it's that. Same way, same way. It was like, you know, you didn't have a car, so you walked. Okay. You walked all over. You know, oh. uh, a story was talked to me about my mom by my uh, my aunt. Said one time I, they lived out in Charleston, you know, uh, Rhode Island, okay. where the Indians used to be. She's, you know, she's part Narragansett Indian. She lived in Rhode Island and they took her then. She didn't want to go to the power. So they took away her shoes so she didn't go anywhere. And she walked from there back to Providence. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's in the blood. My mom used to say to people, he said, well, he can't outbeat me because she used to run too, you know? And she would chase us around the house just to, to have fun. So it was, 
and it was in there. It, it was right. in there. Okay, so you take that 450, and you don't know if that's good, bad, or whatever. You got your A, that much we've established, right? That's right, yep. Okay, so where did you take it from there? How did it go? So you're this is Hope High School, right? I was at Hope High School, and we were in the ninth grade. So um, the same guy that I took the shoes from, Alvin Ash, he was walking the corridor, and Tim McLaughlin saw him. He says, come out for track. You're a hammer thrower. So Al, and he said, bring a friend. So he said, okay, Al saw me. He says, why don't you come down? Uh, this guy wants us to throw a hammer. And you know, you know, here we are. I never saw a hammer. So I said, you mean you nail something and you just throw the damn hammer? He said, yeah. I said, I can throw far than you. So I went down there and went to the track, you know? And then he said, as soon as he saw me at 10 o'clock and said, you're a runner. I said, well, what about the hammer? He said, <laughs> he said I went up there and I threw the hammer. I threw 130. I never had any practice. I just watched the guy do it. And I just threw it 130 and then walked away. And he said, oh, you're a runner. And that's how he got me to run. You know, in ninth grade. And he said, you're going to be running indoors. But he made me try. The thing about it, if you know, Ron, we had the winning track outside. They had a winning track. And it 10 times around on an outdoor winning track. And uh, Pilgrim had it. Hope had it. And so he said, come dress. Your long john, your tights. You know, we didn't have tights. We had long john with the shorts over it, the long, the long shirt with your hat and glove. And I said, well, if I'm running indoors, why you got me dressed like this? He said, no, you're going to train outdoors. I said, but that don't make no difference. You know, I, I don't get it. So he gave me, and there's nowhere to lie, he said, you're going to do five miles. It's 10 laps around the track, 50 laps for one week. That's what I did. And finally, I said to him, the next following Monday, I went to him, I said, look here. I said, I'm doing these 50 laps and I'm not going anywhere but in a circle. You got to give me something else. He says, okay, I want you to join the second team running 400s. And I said, well, what is a 400? He says, well, you've been doing it for a long time, but it's like two and a half laps. So the second team was running like 63, 64 for the quarter. He put me in the second team and I ran 61. Then he said, okay. Second group with Bobby and Sonny Winfield, that was the top group. I ran 56 on that group and I outran those guys. So he says, I want you to come back next time and I'm gonna send you with somebody and you're gonna do the Pawtucket loop. And that was the Pawtucket loop was six miles. You go down Hope Street then you go to North Main Street and you finish that Hope. So I get there, come in with my bag. You know, I'm a freshman. Here's Bobby in there. He's stretching, he's touching his toes. He's doing all these things. I'm looking at this guy and saying, this guy's got a problem. You know, I said, he must be sick. You know, so he's doing this. He's, and he's, like, he's grabbing his arm. He's like doing this. And I'm saying, man, what's wrong with this guy? I don't, I don't think I want to be around him. There's something wrong with him. So now Tim McLaughlin says, okay, you're going to go and you're going to do the Pawtucket loop. Or you could come straight back on Hope Street. In my mind, nobody runs six miles unless you're getting a ride to come back. So Bobby takes, we go out the door and all he's doing is talking. I'm, <laughs> and I'm in my mind, I said, this guy never shuts up. And I'm running and running and running. He gets all the way to the end. He turns around and goes back this way. I said, yo, yo, dude, where's the car? And he went, we the car, took off. And I'm looking at him, you know, you know how guys look, you, you're big and then they start getting smaller and smaller and he was gone. 
and I'm in a shuffle. I'm running. I'm running into people. I'm walking. I'm saying, could you, could you tell me where Hope High School is? You say, oh, you're down a ways. I said, thanks. You know, people say, you okay? You want to sit down? No, no. I get there half an hour after him. He's showered. He's already leaving. Tim McLaughlin goes, said, what took you so long? I said, whatever you do, don't send me out with that damn nut again. All he did was damn talk. And that's how me and Bobby became friends. That you know, is, that is what I talk about taking the freshman to the. We showed <laughs> me a lesson, the boy. That lesson hurt. <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> so, you know, and from there, it just got bigger and bigger. And that's how I started learning how to run, you know, with, with those okay. guys. They were so talented. So, so let me ask you this. I mean, first of all, I can't imagine five miles on a 110 meter wooden track. I mean, that sounds crazy to begin That's with. Crazy. Yeah. But, but at least he got you off the track. Okay. That's yes. somewhat, you know, that's, that's kind of positive. Why did you come back for day two? Bobby <laughs> destroyed you. Okay. Well, you know what fair, it was, fair to it's say. The competition. Okay. It, it, okay. My situation, I have a cousin that was like, you know, an athlete too. You know, there were athletes on my cousin. You know, uh, my cousin Roscoe, he was like a, a football player at Central High School. He was like all defensive player and tight end and basketball, all state. My other cousin, he was like a best player in the, uh, the reserves in the Army for football. So it's in my family. Every time we played, it was competition. So when I came back, I was going to say, I'm going to learn how to get this guy. And I'm going to learn how to get this guy. And that's how, what motivated me to keep going. So that so it literally was it wasn't Bobby. It was the the kind of the the family culture you grew up in. It sounds like, oh, which yeah. was also responsible for that out of nowhere four fifty, right. you know, in a fashion. Right. It was just, interesting. Okay. It was just interesting, you know, because competition is what we always liked. You know, when I was growing up, even I like I wasn't there to run. I was there to go play basketball, baseball, or football. And I, you know, I was good. And I, matter of fact, I made the football team before I started running cross country one year. And our football team was so bad, but he wanted me to stay because I was their best ball player. And I quit because I said, it's, I'm not getting anything out of this, you know? And same with thing with the basketball player. And one of the guys who was the top player, I beat him in a game of one-on-one. -on -one, and they wanted me to come out. But as I got into track, it made me more disciplined and made me want to become better and better at it. So, okay. So we have day one. You came back right. day two, which is huge, right? right? right. Because you, you've decided mm -hmm. to come back. When did, when did, and you've, you've mentioned the competition side of it, when do you think something clicked and said, I can do this and it's, and I've got a talent for it. How long did that take that? Because, and by the way, we're in high school. What are you running into while we're at it? Literally, what kind of stuff outside of the, the sweat? No, and the, we, you know, I didn't even know what track shoes were. We had Converse and sneakers. That's okay. what we were running in. So I never ran anything like that. And um, um, what it made me be competition is because I saw the other guys run and I wanted to run with them and I wanted to beat okay. them. Okay. And, you know, we had guys on our, like Sonny Winfield is probably, they, they changed the rules in Rhode Island because of Sonny Winfield. When Sonny Winfield played basketball, his season was over. So he went, he, he didn't do any running at all. And what he did was come out for track from the, uh, the class A and he won the two miles. Then the next week, he came back and won the state two miles. But you, at that time, like, you had to run so many races to become an all-stater. Not like they do now. If you win the state meet, you're all-state. He came back and won that, and he didn't do any training. 
So it was natural for us. So every time I saw that and I saw the Fusco, I saw Bobby and all those guys, I wanted to beat those guys. So the, they motivated me to get to the next level, you know, and that's what it was. And the motivation came from like, even when me and Ron knows, when you ran on the road, we know how motivation was. You know, everybody was there. You didn't have like, no one shows up. Everybody showed up. And yeah. if you could beat this yeah. guy, you know he was good. Ron ran 49 for uh, 10 mile in Narragansett, so he knows. It was tough out there, you know, and it was, you had battles. That, had that was, uh, yeah, very, very competitive in yes. the road wars back in the day and you know you didn't have the internet you never knew who was going to show up so you'd see holly and roland and bobby and you you knew it was going to be a fast time and mark's mark skinkle tom grundy mark was always good about keeping it on its pace early on so uh, help us if you would holly i'm the outlier here i Mm -hmm. i I don't have any rhode island connections i only by marriage so i'm i'm kind (laughs) of uh that's um, okay we take you all right thank you thank you um Chart, chart for us, if you would, and for our listeners. Um, so, you know, obviously, 450 is the start. Mm. How did it migrate? What did you end up doing? What was your preferred event? Where did they have you my, doing? And Coach um, McLaughlin, yeah. Well, Coach McLaughlin was like, he was the main character for me. Okay. He actually kept me focused. You know, when I we had the four-by-one relay team, and he was disciplined. I cut. I cut a class. And he put me on the second team. And, uh, and I was a sophomore. The first team set a record, but I had the fastest time of the day on that, that race. I ran 427, you know, and the next guy on our team was 429, but everybody ran like in the 430s, except for Jimmy Gordon, he ran slow. And it's an article in the book. They were saying that if Holly had to run this race, we would have had the second fastest time in the country. The only one that would have been better was us was Jim Ryan's high school team. But because the coach punished me for cutting class, and that's the way I got, I didn't cut anymore because I wanted to get better. And working with Ted, he had a plan for me, you know? And so he got me to the next level because okay. he, he said to me like this, I wanted to play all the sports. He says, I could get you into college. I can get you to any college you want to go. You listen to me. And um, I'm going to tell you, some of the workouts in high school, we had, um, we had Bruce Fisher, who everybody knows Bruce Fisher. He went to Syracuse and ran 355. He could not do a workout with me because we ran 24 quarters. We ran, we ran like you know, 10 halves. We ran I, one workout. He gave me 4,200. And you say to yourself, 4,200s? Oh, man. He said, but 40 seconds, you think it's easy. When you get to 20 and you say, I got another 40, you know? And so he kept giving me things that I needed to do. One time he gave me, he used to pick me up at my house. And this is when I ran that 413 with nobody on, nobody. And I ran on Hemmerkin, like on the streets out here. And he gave me workouts. He picked me up every morning for like three weeks. I ran a three mile on the, tr- on the center track and I, I average, you know, five minutes a mile. Then I come back and do 20 quarters. The next day he gets me to do the same thing. I come back and do 10 halves. So I was doing doubles for three weeks. And when it was over, it was a piece of cake. You know, we didn't have to run four races to win. That one race, we thought it was like, 
If we had a race and we only had to do one race, it was a miracle. So well, that's it, goodbye, you know? And so we, we got better that way. And that's how I got stronger, you know? And he would take me to certain races. I, I ran against this guy named McMahon and he was an Irish Olympic runner out in Massachusetts. And I didn't know what five mile was. That was my first five mile. I ran like 25 flat, he ran 24.54. I was right with him and he just had more than I had. And so I said, Ted, I said, next time I meet this guy, I'm gonna beat him. And I did, and, you know, and, and, and that's, that's just the competitive, you know, and the workouts, I'm telling you, it was hard. So let me ask you, you mentioned Cinder Tracks, and I think all, yeah. all of us here on the call are, are familiar mm -hmm. with them, have had that experience. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, you know Cinders, right? If it's yeah. rainy and sloppy, you know, oh, it's yeah. a pain in the butt. Okay. And if it's dry and you've been around it 20 or 30 mm -hmm. times, mm -hmm. you've, it's sand or, or, you know, it's really, you know. So what do, what do you remember about um training on a track like that would you train in spike for example or would you do well, your converse or what would you we, end up doing well we learned as i got a junior we started buying the adidas shoes they used to have jimmy doyle had a sporting goods store and we used to buy the adidas shoes so we used that okay. only time we, uh, we use our track we would take the spikes to run on the on the center track um when you know the thing about it some of the guys didn't like running with me because i would go out and every quarter I wanted to try to run 60 or better. And, and you know, my last quarter on the cinder track, I ran 51 on the cinder track. And um, he would look at me and he'd go, you know, and and I, that was my goal. And, and I ran a hundred yard. This is the thing about me because when I was in Texas, I ran a hundred yard dash in nine, seven, nine, six. And, and they all thought I was sprinters. And I wasn't a sprinter. I ran 21.9 for 220. Indoors at Moses Brown, I ran 48.2 for a quarter in Moses Brown, indoors. So uh, I'm having a hard time processing this, Holly. Right. What, so what would you say if, if somebody asked you back then? Right. Would they call, would you, would you call yourself a sprinter, a runner? What would you call yourself? I wouldn't call myself a sprinter because when I was at El Paso, those guys were running nine two nine. No, no, but I'm talking hope. I'm talking, you know, high school. I, I could have ran, I could have ran the sprint, but there were some good runners at Central that were better than me. And matter of fact, Bobby Coppinger was at Mount Pleasant. He was a he was a beast, Bobby Coppinger was. But I think I could have ran the 400 against him, you know, because I had that strength. Because Mike, the thing about Tim McLaughlin, I could tell you a good story too. Tim McLaughlin one time put me in a race and I was running with Everett Dunn and, and um, Bruce Fisher was in there. I was leading the two mile and I slowed down and I waited for Everett to come up and I said, yeah, I'm going to let you get this one. He said, why? I said, because if, if I win, I will never be able to run a mile because he'll keep me in that two mile. And I let him go and I just came in second and, and Ted came up and said, what's the matter? I said, oh, no, no, I just had a cramp. He said, no, you didn't. You just let him win. I said, Ted, I know you. I said, you're going to keep me in that two mile. And I hate that two mile, you know, but he never tried me in the 800 because and when I got to El Paso, they put me in a thousand. I ran 210 to a thousand yards, you know, and they looked at me like, but, you know, they started learning how to, he always had me be the leadoff guy, even in the distant melody. When we ran a distant melody in Detroit, 
I was the leadoff guy and I ran the first to qualify in 152 and then I ran 151 to get my team to leave 15 yards. And we, they blew because we didn't have a guy that could run the third quarter, but we finished third and we all made All-American and that was what we wanted. But it, and we are, we want to, I definitely want to come back because I've, I've read a little bit about that Detroit experience, but uh, John had a question. John, uh, John, jump on in here. So, so Holly, I was listening to your, to your workouts and my head's still spinning. <laughs> it was, I mean, though, I don't think I've ever heard of workouts that hard or that someone hasn't, didn't walk out of their injury. I mean, did you have a, did you have a, like a, I can't imagine doing that, like you were saying, every day, every day, but day after. Were the days that you took off, or the I mean, there, there were no such things as days off back then. But did you have days where you're like, oh my calf hurts? I, I, I never ran on Sunday. I never ran okay. on Sunday. You know, um, the only time I started doing running is when I started getting close to the New Englands and stuff because they kept telling me you need to run, you need to run. So that's what happened. But I always took a Sunday. Or if we didn't have a race, I would not run on Saturday. Did you and have like a program where you peaked? Do you remember? Um, like, did you? The peaking part, when he had us go peak for the, the championship, like the All-State, the state meet, and then he would give us days off where we said, you guys, but it was not really days off, but it was like we didn't do no speed workout. He'll go out and say, you're doing, the, you're going to do the Pawtucket Loop, but you're going to jog it as a team. You know, you're not racing it. Or you're going to do a four-mile run, but you're not going to race it. So that was our easy time. And I think we were only doing like 35 to 40 miles a week in our high school, you know, and, and those 40, when we were training, they were high. They were very high. So because quality high. miles, quality, quality mileage. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. But and not getting good. hurt. That's the thing that just, especially given that volume at, 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 at that age, that's still incredible. Oh, that's really. Those, time, those, those times, you know, I mean, you know, day so after it, day. Am I correct in thinking that you had the Rhode Island state record? In the I had it for about maybe 20 years. I ran 413, and the next guy behind me ran 420. I had, you know, and I think I could have ran faster if somebody pushed me. I ran my last quarter of like 57, 58, because what happened, Ted, there was a guy named Quip. He, matter of fact, he texted me a couple times, and he said, so you, you, you're the kid that killed me because he was supposed to be the winner. And they, and they had, and this is a funny story. They started calling all these guys up here, and then it, it, I was number 10 on, on the fence. And because those guys had competition, I had no competition. And so, you know, I'm sitting there, and Bobby is right in the gate there, and this other guy who knows quick says, I, that guy quick is going to beat this guy. It's, he's going to win the whole thing. Bobby said, I bet you $20. And so they, they bet $20, Bobby did. So the race go off, and you know your first life, I'm out there with the guy. And I'm almost stepping on his shoes. And I said, and I looked at my coach. I said, now? He said, no, not now. I said, and she said, get back there. So I go back. Second lap, I get on the kid's shoes again. I said, now? He said, now get back there. The third lap comes. He said, now. And I just took off. And he said, you know, I was shot like a gun. And I finished. It was nothing. Bobby took me out with the money that he won, you know? <laughs> so it was great. But it was that was, to me, was easy. And, and the thing about it, because I was a junior and I wasn't a senior, it was the Golden Gates on California, if you remember. Yes, I right? do remember that, yes. There was a guy in there named Joe Savage. I beat him in New York on the Omri, New York. I beat him. Free Fontaine was number one. Joe Savage was number two. I was number three, and I beat Free, I beat Joe Savage. And Free Fontaine ran 
4547, and then I was by myself 413. We, the top three we were. Matter of fact, his sister, you know, texts me every once in a while. People say, sister talking about that, you know. And I wish I had a chance to run against those guys. I'm not saying I could have beat them, but it would have been interesting. At least I would have had somebody to run, you know. Yeah. So it sounds like you did the – you accomplished what so few milers seem to do. You ran that third quarter hard um, yeah. and, and, and made the race. And it, it seems like certainly these days it's kind of like nobody wants to take the third and then we have this – you know, then we have this blazing last lap, but but something happens between 800 meters uh, and that, and then that final lap. But somehow you, uh, you know, made it made it a habit. Yeah, and, and you know, my strength came from my dad. You know, because uh, I worked with my dad at Fruit Group, a fruit produce market. Every day I was going down lifting 50 pound potatoes of the 800 of them, and I'd be doing uh, uh, onions. I do everything. I got my fruits and everything, but my dad gave me my, my strength, you know, and my mom gave me my strength. And my father always tell me, you pick something you like, you stay with it. Don't bounce all around, you know, but my father was every day he got up and it was a routine with him. He got up three o'clock, got his sandwich and he walked to work, which was like three or four miles. And he would take me to learn this and the discipline. And when he came to track, I always wanted to be the number one guy run hot and i tell you it was workout you like you was just talking john um after a while tim mclaughlin started learning how to run a little he gave us eight quarters with a 200 job and you had to run them on the 60 i ran every one at 56 on the dirt track on a dirt track yes so okay so you set the state record 413 as a junior Mm -hmm. um uh how did your senior year campaign and then and then Chart for us a little bit what happened after, you know, as, as high school was winding up. I had a chance to go. The guy wanted me to go to Moses Brown and run on Moses Brown. At that time, Moses Brown wasn't in the lead like they are now. It was a separate lead with all these private schools going against private school. And I said, no, Ted, you know what? I don't really know him. I really want to stay here and finish and, and train on Nick Jew. So um, that's when Colonel McNulty got a club and had me run on one of his clubs. He was um, sponsoring me and running these clubs. And I got a chance to run against those guys, but I trained with those guys. And when I ran my 48-2, it was like, I was doing a speed workout at Moses Brown for an hour, like doing straightaways for one hour. Tim McLaughlin gave me that. Uh, Hope High School was going with a team from Maryland. And that was supposed to be the championship from Maryland. They were going against Hope just for doing me. And the second team needed a guy, one guy to run the 400. So, you know, so he asked me, and that's when I ran my 48, 48-2 and after doing our workout. Um, if, if we were doing video, I think you, uh, our guests, or rather our listeners who could actually see us, we're all shaking our heads because some of this right. stuff is just, it, it, it's just kind of mind-blowing. Bobby Doyle was like that with his training. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. When you get into that, his training was almost the same way as we had in high school. So you're okay. So, so that's the model, you know, so I can see that. Right, I mean, that, right, that, right. that does make a difference. Right. I, I can see it. Right. So as, um, so it sounds like you're kind of doing a bridge between traditional high school and whatever that next step is with right, uh, right. introduce us if you would, because I don't know Colonel McNulty uh, and I don't know how many of our listeners do either. Well, Colonel McNulty was the Dean of uh, uh, Johnson and Wales. And um, okay. when I, I didn't know what, I wanted to do it because even even then when I was in school, I still was thinking about going in the service because all my friends was in the service and 
I want to look good because they had the Marines playing. I want to be one of those guys. And um, so I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So Ken McLaughlin talked to the Colonel and Colonel said, have him come to our school. And that's how I got into there. And then he really actually took care of me. You know, he had me, um, well, he had all of us. And he said, I'm trying to hit win the regionals. That was my goal to win the regional. They never won the regional and they had a team there. And so he ended up getting, uh, you know, Sonny Winfield, Everett Dunn, uh, myself. And he also got on um, four of us, four good runners, all from around the area. John Fadis was the other guy. And so we end up becoming such a close team that Colonel made sure that we all did the work, made sure to go to class. And he took care, you know, we went to, we went to, uh, uh, up there to Syracuse. That's where the regional champion, we won the regional. And I got, I saw Bruce Fisher when he ran. So we talked and Bruce Fisher said, well, if you finish here, try to come to Syracuse. I said, I don't know about that either, you know? Uh, and then the next, I finished 25th, which gave me all American for the nationals. And I finished sixth in the mile because they took the top six in the mile outdoors in Arizona. The next following year, Rolling, uh, myself and Freitas. Freitas finished 10th overall. I finished third in the Nationals. Roland Davis finished 25th, but we didn't have anybody else. We should have won the Nationals because I was the number one man for a team. Freitas was three and Roland Davis was five. So, so let me ask, let, let me let me paint a little picture because I'm thinking if, if if my math is right, you're graduating Hope somewhere like 69, 1969, 1970. Right. I'm thinking that's Vietnam big time, right? Oh, I mean, I got drafted, you know. Yeah. Okay. So how did that feel? How did you feel? I mean, that's a, that's a tough time to be an athlete. I mean, you already said you were thinking about, you were going to go into the service maybe, and then, and then things kind of went differently. Can you help us kind of well, understand some of those? I, left Johnson and Wales, I went to El Paso. Okay. Okay. And my mom didn't fill out the paper saying that I was in school. So I'm in El Paso and I'm out there doing my running and running cross country. And next thing I know, I get these guys coming from Fort Bliss and saying that to me, you're a draft dodger and you're going to go in the service. I said, what are you talking about? I'm in school. And he said, no, no, you're not. You know, I didn't get no papers. So they actually took me out of my dorm. I had to call uh, Vandenberg and he had so much stroke. He was the one that said, well, we'll put him in ROTC. And that's where I went, ROTC. And I stayed there for two years, which I thought was kind of corny because they, they did stupid things that I didn't even like, you know, and they were, they, and you had to do like map, map reading, you had to do marching, you had to have different uniform on, you had to sloop kids who were in the, the 10th grade, you know, one grade ahead of you, they were in the you know, junior, senior, and, you know, so you had to deal with all that BS, I, and that's how I got out of, mm -hmm. I got out of Vietnam, because they, they had me, yeah. and um, there was a guy in there, matter of fact, I saw him one time, this is about 15 years, he was a guy who was my captain. He said, I could fly a plane right down in the middle of the road. That was my captain wow. in ROTC. And so, and so, and that was the point. Rick McLaughlin was there. He helped me to get, I tell you, I couldn't even tear a tie. I couldn't tie a tie. Rick would tie my tie. He said, make sure you do your medals. Make sure you did. I had to make sure every, every other day you had to wear your uniform and it had to be shot. And you had to salute and walk. Yep. You know, and you had to learn how to take away. I had an M13, which you didn't have any like firing pen, but you had to take that apart, put it together and clean it, you know, and that's how you get your A. And so finally, I wanted to get thrown out of that place because I was getting sick of it, you know. 
And so one day I was running down and this guy, you know, I never saluted him. And I, we had to come from, we had to come from like, they gave you 15 minutes to get to class. And I got to go to one end. I'm running like the hell. I have my book, I have my uniform, my hat and everything. And the guy said, hey, Bobby, you didn't salute me. I'm like, man, here's your salute. I threw my finger and kept going, you know? And next thing you know, I'm sitting in class. He comes up to class, he sees me. And he tells the captain, the guys who are teaching the class, they are actually service guys. He said, Private Walton, come up. I only had one strike. He said, did you flip what's the name off? I said, yes, I did, sir. He says, why? I said, because I never slew him before. He's with a girl. He's trying to show off. So I had to get up with all these border people. They took my strike away. And he said, how'd you please? I said, I throw myself in the mercy of the court. And they started laughing, you know, and he took my strike. I said, I'm not. But they, they used me because I played flag football for them. I played basketball for them. And we played against everybody who was in the back, every different place. And we were winning. So I said, I'm not playing for you guys. And the other guy who came to me, he said, well, you just act. You stop acting up. You're going to get your strike back. Just, okay. just take it and just go. You know? And, you know, finally I had to get out, man. I, I couldn't take it anymore. Well, before, before we get out of that, um, another kind of, you know, we talked a little bit about Vietnam. The yeah. other thing, though, but this is related to Texas Mining College, which became uh, Texas El Paso. Yeah. For our listeners, we got an interesting historical moment here. 1965, Texas Mining College uh, was the first school in the NCAA basketball final to start five African-Americans and had uh, two on the bench uh, in reserve. And they were playing and beat heavily favored University of Kentucky, which was all white, and proudly so, um, and, and very much segregation, uh, segregationist in Adolph Rupp. Mm -hmm. So you're arriving on campus not that long after that whole experience happened and put Texas Mining, now uh, University of Texas El Paso, on the map. What mm -hmm. was it like, Holly, coming from the East Coast to Let's face it, Texas El Paso is about was, as far away as you can get in a lot of ways. It was a culture change. It was, it, was, it was unbelievable, man. When I first came, like again, Rick McLaughlin and this guy, uh, Kevin Joyce, they made sure I got on the plane and went with him because I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, So we got there. The airport was small. They had all these different color on it. You got into, the, you got into a cab. You had, to show them the, you had to show them where you were going because they couldn't speak no English. And man, when you got in that car, there was a gun in the back and it was a rifle. And you look at these guys, they had a sombrero hat, they had these boots on and they had these big buckles. I said, man, man, what did he send me down? Did he send me into hell? So I get there and we get there, there's a mountain. You're near the mountain and you, and you see all this and you see the, the ground is all, I said, man, I don't know if I'm gonna stay here, man. And across the way, it, it, across the way, it was like, um, where is Mexico? And my first time going out for a run, I see all these people running across the water. You think the Rio Grande was big? I'm running like this and I'm going, hey man, it's a race. I stopped my watch and look at it. That's all those guys coming across the border. We're sneaking across the border and I see all of them coming by. And I said, what the hell's going on here? And you saw this one guy who was a, who was a guy who came over and he just, he was just a thing. He came and got him, you know? And he came and picked up the last guy. And I said, the last guy was out of shape. So he got him, you know. But it was, it was a tough time because it was white and black. And like I lived with um, 
a friend of mine, Larry McKay, and I always remember this. Um, he, he was on the baseball team and he was the only black guy on the baseball team. And these guys were racist to him. And they the, gave the baseball team, the base, the, the rest of the team. Yeah. Baseball team. I, there was a couple of times when the Africans started coming, there was a couple of guys on our team that, that gave them a hard time, but you know, it wouldn't give me a hard time because I wouldn't take it because, you know, I'm, I'm from here, you know? So if, if you're going to say something to me, I'm going to say it back to you, but I got call names. I got call names. I'll never go back to Georgia because we I was driving back from uh, Rick McLaughlin. They called me the end where I'm talking about the whole town, mm. the whole town. And you can't stand up. Rick McLaughlin was a hero. He called him all kinds of effing name and called him, you know, a hippie. And we had to pick up a girl that her family would take us in during uh, Thanksgiving for thank you know, Thanksgiving because we couldn't come home. They called her an, an end lover. They called her you this, you know, good. And when I was in the car sleeping, the state police who was in Texas at El Paso said to Wade, said, Why, you know, hey, why you got the, why are you from the East Coast with all them in the, the N-word? And I said, who's that? And he, Rick wouldn't let me get up. And he said, when he left, and I got that call, I had to, you know, I had to battle between that and everything. And even some of the, you know, the Spanish people didn't like us because we were from the East Coast. We were different, you know, and mm. so that's why you got that band together. So you came to, uh, it, it was because of Coach McLaughlin that you came to UTEP. Is that right? Yeah, Is that really the connection? Because Bobby went there. So and Bobby, right. And Bobby, Bobby okay. There, and then Rick McLaughlin was there and uh, okay. Kevin Joyce. They're always from that area. So he wanted me to go to a school that was good. Because let me tell you, I got over 120 something offers to go to college. The one that got me was when a guy Hawaii called. I said, holy cow, I'm going to Hawaii. He said, you won't graduate, you know? So I said, well, and they would call my father's house like three o'clock in the morning as he's going to work. He said, my son's sleeping. And then some school out there in uh, uh, San Diego and I had USC, Harvard and Yale. I said, I ain't going to Harvard and Yale. I, I ain't that smart, I used to say, you know? But then they would ask me these questions and, you know, and, um, but he, he picked the school for me. I went out to Florida. And they had me at uh, Miami and they were trying to sell the running club out there, the Florida running club with, uh, yep. you know, all those shorter and yeah, all those guys. And, 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 Larry, and then Brown, cause I knew Larry, the Brown who went there, he ran from PC and I know him personally and he was trying to recruit me, but they were recruiting me to run on the their club. The mm -hmm. team wasn't that good. So Ted, when they, we had the, the relay there, the Florida relay, as a matter of fact, Jim Ryan was in that race with me. I beat him cause he dropped out. I tell everybody, I beat Jim Ryan, but he dropped out, you know? Um, so he made that decision. He said, no. And so Vandenberg flew down to Providence. He had my mom and me and, and my father. And he brought us to dinner and he says, your son's got a full scholarship. He's in. And, and that's, that's how I got to go to El Paso. And then, you know, it, it was a different culture. Everything was different. Everything. A you lot know? of collisions of different things. I mean, you know, language ethnicity, all oh, of yeah. that. Oh, um, yeah. Man, there's so much. So when you think of your UTEP day, right? Um, we can call it UTEP. Right. For you, what were the, if, if we can, I'm, when you think of the UTEP days, right? what, if you can, scope out for us the top two experiences on the positive side that you look back on most fondly 
about the problem this side is when I went, we won the national championship and we all came back on all American. Uh, those guys, even now, we still kept keeping contact. You know, it, okay, so it, can you jump into that a little bit? Because I don't have a lot of detail on that. That well, that we all went. There was only about maybe twelve of us guys who went to the nationals out in Detroit. Um, and you know, he came to me that I qualified with a two ten and a thousand, but I also qualified on the relay team too. And he says I could take more guys on the relay team, and, and you could you can run a thousand if you want, Holly. But those guys can't run. So he says, I'll take, yeah, I said, I'll go with the team. So that's how we, we all went down there. And um, it, that was the first, we were the first actually from uh, Ted Banks that won a national championship in Doug. We were the first. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah, we were the first. You know? So it was Ted Banks was the head coach at that point. Right. Because Vanderbilt got fired because Vanderbilt did a lot of like, he spent a lot of money. And Vanderbilt was a good guy, but he spent a lot of money. He brought a lot of great athletes in. And they all left when he left. And so that was the thing. But the guys who stayed, because he called me, Banks says, you know, I want you to stay. you got the scholarship. You could go if you want to stay. I said, stay. And what I liked about Ted, you know, Ted Banks, he coached like Ted. He did uh, a lot of high running, but he brought in the African. That's who the first guys they started bringing in. He was the first to bring in the African. I was friendly with Wilson. And that's another thing. The second thing is, all those guys who were in Africa and the guys who got to know me, Wilson, uh, Kip, Frank, and um, James Mignola was four times uh, steeplechase champion in the NCAA. These guys were my friends. They all come in my room, we talk, we laugh. And all those guys, that was my second experience. Even guys that hung out with us, they were brothers. And they would take care of me. They'll keep an eye on me. And, I, and they, the weight guys, uh, you know, the guys from Sweden, they were like, 6'4", 260, and they were bench pressing like, I ain't never seen guys bench press like them. They're squatting a thousand. And the thing would bow down there and I would joke with them and they became like my, my big brothers. They used to follow me around. If I went to a club and it was racist club now and people gave me a hard time, those two guys made sure that they would never touch me. And they watched over me like I was a big brother. You know, they were like, and one time one guy, Ripped my door off because I was throwing rocks at him and stuff. He chased me upstairs. I locked my door. And he just took it and ripped it off. <laughs> oh my God, you got to pay for that, you know? But he, 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 we got it fixed, the coach did, you know? And he said, you guys got to stop doing that, you know? But those guys took care of me. We even had a, a, a tough time with the football team. But those guys took that. The story about the football team was that I was sleeping. They were pitching pennies over my head. And I couldn't sleep because we had to get up in the morning and run like four or five miles. And I kept hearing it. What the heck is that? Is there something in my room? And again, so I go upstairs and I say, hey, you guys, man, you, you, you know, you're pitching pennies over my head. Oh, shut up and go downstairs. Really? I, I waited for them to go to sleep, man. I had, a, I had my friend was in the band. He had a drum. I ran up and down that hallway with a drum. And <laughs> then I ran downstairs. Then my friend had this thing when he had a thing going. I did that for about one week and they knew it was me. So they came down and said, come on, could you? And they were starting to give me a hard time. And here comes those two guys. You're not going to touch Holly. You deserve what you get. He told you to stop it. You better stop it or we're throwing you out of the window. And those guys never bothered me. Well, so it's, it's it, a good experience. But you know what? So it sounds like it's, you know, and that's the, isn't that the beauty of track and field? You got throwers, yes. you got sprinters, you got jumpers, yes. you got distance guys. Right. You right. got this whole menagerie of people with different, you know, skills. And when it comes right. together, it's a magical thing. Yeah. And, and, and they, 
they appreciate you too, you know? I mean, I have a friend now who's down there, Jake Jacob, he said that to me because I was like the only, almost only, uh, only American, you know, Afro-American on that team that was beating these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I was beating guys from Africa that were supposed to be good. I was beating them. And the ones I, I tell you a story, I mean, when I started running with those guys from Africa, whew, you never, you know, I was running when they were doing a 10 mile run. We used to do a 10 mile on Sunday. And, I, and that's another thing I remember. And I'm running with them and they're running easy. I said, how in the hell do these guys get so good? Man, we get up to this hill. There's a four mile road called Crystal Ray that goes straight up. When they said, now we go, they were sprinting. I said, oh my God, I'm trying to stay up with them. I'm starting to stay up with them. I'm staying with the other guys who ain't that fast. They were gone. We get to the top, it's four miles. I get there, I am dead. He goes, no, 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 we're not finished. We got to go to the sea, another half a mile. And they run it. For one week, I ran with those guys. I end up beating some of those guys who were good because they, they train you how to run the right way and run hard. And, and that was some of the gifts I had. So I, I was curious about that because you really got a clash of culture there. You got well, East yeah. Africans. Right. By and large. Right. right and right. then, you know, here we are, you know, U.S. citizens, a slightly right. different lifestyle and all of that. Mm-hmm. What what would you say um, strike or stands out to you as the, the primary difference in approach to the sport from your personal experience between those really disparate groups? Well, I could tell you, you know, the American people, uh, I think they take too much. They said of running to the store. Uh, we drive to the store. You see what I'm saying? These yep. guys walk or run. And, and, and their culture is different. The way they eat is different. Because we had like, um, at, the, uh, at the dorm, at the cafeteria, they had like uh, a night of uh, different culture. And, they, they, and so they had the African culture. It was like almost like a paste thing that was eaten. Umgali or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So their culture is different. But they focus, I think they focus a little bit better. I think the American runners now are getting better, but those guys focus. They know what they have to do. And by being around them and their guy became my friend. And the worst thing about it is they got hassled by guys on the team that like, I know a guy that they, they he would, you know, get yell at him, scream at him. And I had a, I had a run in with one guy and I, I actually beat him up. And, and he went and called Ted, uh, Ted Banks and Ted Banks called me and he said to me, do me a favor. He said, you could beat him after the state meet at nationals, you know, because he kept giving the, he gave the African guys a lot of grief and said things about him that wasn't right, you know. And then it was another guy that said it, and I had to get in, you know, get into his stuff about that. I said, and I used to tell you, you guys got to stand up for yourself too, you know. You, you can't, because they were humble. And that's the thing about them. And I, we, I, I looked up Wilson the other day, Wilson Wagra. He ran a 350 mile, 28. 10,000 meters, got a bronze medal, and you ran 13.15. And he, he stayed with me, uh, me and my wife. He came here, we gave him, we took him out to eat, we made him dinner. He said to me, and he was in his 40s, he ran 14 something for 5, 5K and now in Rhode Island. You know what he said to me? He says, if I was a little younger, I would have won. He ran like 13.15 and he ran all kinds of, he, did, he ran like a, 150, 147 quarter. I mean, 147, 800. He was just a beast. 
And then Minyala was just the same way. They were animals. They, they, they were just freaks, but they were good people. And that's the things mm -hmm. I remember and I loved about that. I didn't really love Texas a lot. I loved the mm -hmm. people that I met. This is a 1982 Ocean State Marathon. And, <clears throat> you know, I was running really well. I think I ran 237 the year before my first marathon. And, I, you know, Holly Walton was, you know, Holly Walton, the god, <laughs> you know. He's like, you know, best runner around, you know, Bobby Doyle. He had a really good race. I'm coming to the finish line, and I could see the clock was 228. And who I see between me and the clock is Holly Walton. And I come up on you. And you go like this. You look at me. You go, go ahead. Like I think you went out too fast, so I haven't. So, yeah, you know, I kind of felt like I, I, I made it. You know, I kind of like I've arrived, and it was just <laughs> made me so happy. Not nothing against you, but yeah, you know, it was like I just really was so happy. So fast forward to next year, and <laughs> yeah, I'm running, and uh, I'm in the. I think I ran two twenty eight, but you, were, Joe Sullivan, was on his bike, and he but he went he. Caught up to you, he said to you, uh, John Gorman's maybe like five minutes behind. And you looked at him, went, you went <laughs> like this, like wave, like he ain't got a shot. <laughs> 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 which I, which I didn't. I think, you, I think you ran like two twenty one or two thousand like that. But it was kind of funny. Like you kind of gave me like a forget him. <laughs> and I, yeah, <laughs> he had that one hit wonder. <laughs> Great times, so, man. Great well, that was time. my, my favorite Holly Walton Great story. times. Great times. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I now know why yeah, Holly. It really was. It was. Uh, Holly, I now know why, you know, when I first met you, literally at the runner's reunion, it had to be outside. Right. Because, I mean, it's just people kept coming and the stories just kept flowing. It, it's obvious uh, that you are a, an extraordinary storyteller and we're, we're the happy beneficiaries of it, no doubt. Uh, about that we've hardly even scratched the surface in some fashion so we're going to have to figure out how that how we're going to play this Anytime. but for now for now i just want to say on behalf of ron and john uh it's been our pleasure this last hour having a wide-ranging conversation with rhode island's great holly walton holly thank you so much for joining us and, and shedding a little bit more light on the experience both in rhode island and uh and texas and i know there's more to come holly right. thank you again uh thanks for having great. me great thanks thanks, thanks holly thanks holly thanks holly <laughs>